Yeah, so uh, we don't normally do intros at the top, but for this one, this is a special one. Right. Normally, normally we disrespect the shit out of uh, whatever host that we have on the podcast, <laughs> and we don't ever give them the proper introduction. But for this one, I think that it's, it might be uh, it might be due. So uh, joining us on this episode is uh, Jacob Hornberger. Uh, he's an attorney, author, and politician. The founder and president. You're still the president of the uh, Future Freedom Foundation, right? Yeah, but what's with the insult on politician, though? <laughs> politician. Hey, man, it's okay. I'm, I'm now officially a politician. It's everywhere. Too. Oh, yeah. Davey, Davey's a politician, too, and catching yep. all kinds of shit, right? Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, Jacob Hornberger, if anybody has been living under a rock, is running as uh, the possible candidate for the 2020 uh, Libertarian nomination. And uh, we're happy as hell to have him on the show and really disappointed that Kyle uh, isn't able to join us today. Yeah. It's actually kind of depressing. Uh, Kyle, our, other, <laughs> our third chair, um, is having a son today. His yeah. wife is bearing a son today. <laughs> I mean, she could not wait one of more day. Of all days. Right? Yeah. <laughs> she couldn't hold it in. Come on. Uh, so. I'm kind of disappointed that he doesn't quite get his priorities right. I'm the guest here. <laughs> I know, man. I tried to, we tried to tell him. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, I think we might be having a, uh, a special guest drop in on a third mic sometime in the middle of the show. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Fingers yeah, crossed. Hopefully he will be. Sounds yeah. good. Well, I wish him and his wife well with the new baby. That's really exciting. Definitely, man. So, yeah. Uh, how was in your week? Honor, yeah, in honor of Kyle's favorite question <laughs> to ask guests is, uh, how was your week? Oh, how so was my week? We have to ask well, it for Kyle. We know he would ask you that if he was here. Okay, no, life's good. <laughs> I mean, my week's great. My month's great. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Th- this race has been a transformative event in my life. I'm just loving it. I just, I love this philosophy. I love running for this office. Um, yeah, life's good. Yeah, that's great, right man. On. Yeah, this whole we- coronavirus thing is all screwed up, but I guess everybody knows that. Oh yeah, dude. It was a uh, dude. Okay, <sighs> so uh, uh, yeah. The coronavirus thing really messed me up because like, I'm running for a tax collector here in my county and uh, have to trying to qualify by petition, which I did uh, successfully do on Monday. Yeah, congratulations. But, uh, yeah, That's fantastic. Really. Thanks. Hey, you've been getting uh, some help, though, haven't you? Didn't you get a yeah. little bit of help? Yeah. I definitely had some people around here help me out, which was yeah. rad. Like, uh, didn't uh, Dan help you out some? Yeah, dude, uh, Dan Berman uh, made my website, which is rad. Go check it out, ColumbiaTheftCollector.com. Yeah, I love seeing uh, libertarians kind of come together. This disorganized bunch, like herding cats <laughs> to get anybody to do anything. Um, whenever they finally actually come together and make stuff happen is a pretty magical experience. It is. It's pretty But great. yeah, Jacob, we were there at the uh, Florida uh, Libertarian National, or Florida Libertarian State Convention. Yes. Um, during the debates and everything. <laughs> I was uh, <laughs> we, I was one of the good. moderators. Yeah, yeah. That uh, cut your mic. Sorry. <laughs> wow. So I was going to express my sympathies to you guys. <laughs> I know that 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 debate got a lot of shit from people online for just having god awful audio. Well, it was awful audio quality. I'm like, what dude, the fuck is this? All of them are. All of the debates were. Kentucky's audio quality quality was fairly well, but then again, yeah. it was all online. Dude, Kentucky beat us. Jesus. Yeah, but they did a like. Jake, what they did they do Zoom or something like that? 
Uh, yes, I think so. Either that or Indian Stream or something. <laughs> Indian Stream. <laughs> so, uh, not sure. I don't remember. You so, pay 20 cents an hour for that service. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm going to be really honest with you, uh, Mr. Hornberger. Um, I always thought you were kind of boring until I listened to you on PRL podcast and at the Kentucky debate. And then I realized you're not actually boring. You have boring ass interviewers. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, that, that's very nice. Yeah. It, it's like, it, cause you're spitting some fire at it, at the Kentucky debate, which was rad. <laughs> I, I very much enjoyed it. I was like, damn, I'm like, that's, that's like Ron Paul energy right there. So uh, I was very excited. Yeah, I got to go ahead. Go ahead, please. Well, no, it's just very gratifying that you that you say that because you know people have gotten upset at me because I, I I take the gloves off in these debates sometimes. But to me, what is a debate? I mean, if if all we're going to do is sing kumbaya, why call it a debate? And I I think people want debate so that they can ferret out where everybody stands. And, and what sure. the nuances are and what, what's your vision for the future of this country and what's your vision for the party. And that means taking and scrutinizing your opponent's positions, analyzing them, challenging them, putting it up to scrutiny. Yeah, for coming, up with, to coming up with insults like, uh, what was it, Jacob fucker? Oh, <laughs> with fucking Mark. Well, no, see, that's where I draw the line. I, I love debates because they, they focus on the issues. But when you cross the line and engage in personal attacks, just, that never accomplishes anything, and it really just reflects the intellectual insecurity of the person that Ooh. uses that kind of language. <laughs> oh, man, Hell look yeah, at dude. that. <laughs> yeah, so whenever I first heard about you, it actually came from uh, Scott Horton and Tom Woods, I think was like whenever of I really got, yeah, like it, the whole uh, Revolution 2.0, right? Right. I think that's a lot of people kind of came from that because there's everybody that's in, in the circle. And the all the Mises Caucus guys. The libertarian media, if you want to call it that, kind of yeah. underground style. Yeah. Mises. Oh, that was a Mises Caucus thing? Well, all those guys are Mises Caucus guys. Sure, sure. I'm wearing yeah. my Mises and Caucus shirt. And I was, uh, I was skeptical. And maybe I still am a little skeptical that it could really be a true revolution, like Ron Paul Revolution 2.0. I know Scott Horton Scott is very gung ho about the whole thing, uh, still. Still. So I guess I'm just curious, like what, 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 what's your view on that? What's your perspective on trying to be uh, compared to the original Ron Paul Revolution? Does it, does it kind of uh, turn you off? Do you think that it's an appropriate uh, synonym here? <laughs> well, Ron Paul is one of my real life heroes. I mean, I just have the utmost admiration for him. I worked for him in the 2008 convention. We've been friends for many, many years. And when he ran in 2008, I went up to New Hampshire before the primary there and went door to door for him, gave a couple of talks for him in Philadelphia and Tennessee. And we've just been friends ever since. I mean, he inspires me. When I hear him talk, it's just my heart starts thumping a little bit yes. faster. Yes. Yeah, dude. And like, that's what his, that to me was what the revolution was about, that he would talk about liberty and he'd, uh, what freedom means and so forth. And that's my campaign. But, you know, I... I don't want to be comp compared to Ron Paul because I'm mm. me. What I'd like to do is take the Ron Paul revolution to a higher level where we, we really go to the American people and say, this is what a free society really is. It's one without any of these socialist programs, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, education grants, foreign aid, public schooling. This, these are infringements on freedom, along with the national security state, the Pentagon, the CIA, the NSA, that and foreign interventionism. 
that in, if you want a free society, this is what you need to do and what we need to do. You need to dismantle infringements on freedom. And this is the big difference I have with my opponents in this race. All they want to do is reform these programs. Mm. Well, if you reform slavery, you still got slavery. If you reform mm. serfdom, you still got serfdom. So I want to take this revolution to a higher level and say, let's talk about what freedom really means. It so you means think the that abolition freedom can exist still with the existence of of a state. I mean, we have a lot Absolutely. of ANCAP, we have a lot of ANCAP listeners here, ourselves at this table included. Absolutely. Right. They, but, what we're uh, talking about now, you know, I've got a lot of anarchist friends. Uh, one I was debating one time back in the 90s, and uh-huh. we went back and forth on this issue. And he finally said, OK, let's call a truce and get down to the night watchman state and then fight over whether to privatize the night watchman or not. Yeah, dude, I, and, I agree with that. I mean, I, I don't even know a, if it would look like a night watchman state. I don't even know. I don't even know well, what what a free society would organize itself like. Well, you know, the, the thing is that. You, you get rid of like 98% of what the federal government does. Mm-hmm. It would be revolutionary just to get rid of the, all the welfare state functions and all the warfare state functions where you have the founding governmental system of this country, which was a limited government republic mm-hmm. that with a basic military force to protect the United States from an invasion, which is a non-existent possibility. And now you're talking about, now the state levels are comple- completely different, but from the federal level, now you're talking about a free society. No drug laws, no immigration laws, no um, none of these this multiplicity so the state, of federal. The state crimes. wouldn't provide the laws. The what's 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 your uh, kind of vision of a? I don't, is it is it fair to call you a minarchist? What's your vision yes. of a minarchist society of a of a just minarchist society? Then yes, I'm what a minarchist. What roles are, does the state have? Sorry, go ahead. All right. Well, we're talking about two separate levels of government here. We're talking mm-hmm. about the federal government and the state government. So let yes, me answer yes. both questions on both sides. Okay. Because this is another difference that I have with my opponents in this race. On the federal level, three functions of government. One, to provide a basic small military force that's able to just marshal people and assets in case the country were ever invaded. That's a, a virtually a non-existent possibility. So you don't need government to be doing very much there. You don't need a big military force. No nation state's got the remotest capability, money, military, whatever, to invade the United States, cross the oceans, and so forth. Uh, but that's number one function. Okay. Number two function, the traditional function of government to prosecute people that violate the rights of others, murders, rapists, thieves, etc. cetera. Uh, but that doesn't need to be done by the federal government and should not be done by the federal government. That's a role for the states, criminal justice. And you get rid of all these federal criminal laws dealing with interstate commerce, which is their big justification. You get rid of the drug war. You get immigration controls. You essentially have no criminal juris- uh, criminal prosecutions taking place in the criminal justice system. So would you not have any intervention in these uh, states and what they do as far as like taxation and the regulations that the states impose? Federal, federal interference? Right. No. No, it's, it's none of the federal government's business what the states do at all. Now, so if you if, became president, uh, California would be the same socialist shithole that it is. California would be uh, cut off. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah it's, it's just cut off and sunk into the ocean. Uh-huh. <laughs> but but let, 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 me, let me just continue the third function of the federal government. So we're, we're sure. talking about now a very minimal government that doesn't need that much money so far. And... 
The third function is to provide the federal court so people can go in there and resolve disputes peacefully by suing each other. And there's a, there's a certain <laughs> jurisdictional that, uh, level that you have to meet to go into court, federal court. You can't just file any lawsuit in federal court. But the, the civil jurisdiction is, is relatively small. So now that's the federal government. Now, when you say the federal government should have no role in the states, I qualify that because we're, we're talking about three branches of the federal government, the, the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. The first two branches, I say, leave the states alone. But the third branch, the judicial branch, mm-hmm. I love the 14th Amendment because it gives people two bites at the apple at the state level. If, for example, Virginia passes a gun control law, no, the president has no jurisdiction, no power to interfere with that, that federal law, I mean, that state law uh, confiscating our assault rifles. Neither does Congress. But people can go into federal court and sue the state of Virginia under the 14th Amendment for depriving them of life, liberty, and property without due process of law. And that's how, essentially how the gun control law in, in D.C. got declared unconstitutional. I love that part of, of federal jurisdiction. It's a negative power. It's a power to nullify state actions and state laws. Now, on the state jurisdiction, I would argue the same thing from a, from a principle standpoint, that if you want to get rid— Oh, well, let me go back to the federal uh, jurisdiction for a second. That means getting rid of all socialist programs. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, income taxation, IRS, all the most of the departments, I think there's 18 federal departments, maybe get rid of 16 of them. All the ones that take money from one person and give it to another person, all the agencies that regulate economic activity, I would dismantle the national security state, which is a totalitarian form of government structure. I'd put back into place the limited government republic that our country was founded on. That's the minarchist ideal. And it's achievable because despite, you know, there's a lot of problems with 19th century America, no doubt about that. There were some pretty bad stuff happening. But they showed that you can have a society for 100 years with no income tax, no IRS, no sure, Social Security. Sure, sure. Medi- and, they, and that might be achievable uh, to go back to a true constitutional government. But, uh, I mean, I feel like 99% of all laws right now are unconstitutional. It's like everywhere you look, it's hard to come up with a law that isn't unconstitutional yeah. anymore. I mean, Agreed. I like there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done to bring us back to a constitutional minarchist government, if you want to call it that. Um, well, that's my point in this race is that in order to get to that point, you have to go out among people and you've got to make that case. It, you know, why should people consider what a minarchist society looks like if libertarians won't make the case for liberty? I mean, we're the well, only hope. People don't care about libertarians in the first place. Definitely well, but, but, be, but becoming Republican lights is mm-hmm. not going to bring you the free society. Oh, we're not disagreeing on that one. Yeah. All right. So how do you achieve the free society? The only way is by going out among people and making the case. They may reject it, but that's your only chance. Gotcha. I mean, look at me. Just Before I education. discovered libertarianism, I was an ardent leftist. I was a Democrat. All right. So, you know, if you look at me, you'd say, well, forget Jacob. He's not going to be a libertarian. He's an ardent <laughs> leftist. Well, but then I discovered it. How many people out there that, that would become like me if they just heard the case? If all I'd heard the, for the case for liberty is vouchers and health savings accounts and Social Security privatization, mm, UBI. I never would have become a libertarian. <laughs> yeah. I heard the hardcore case. That's from not the like compelling reason why anybody becomes a libertarian. Yeah. No. <laughs> and, and so on the st- but on the state level, I would argue the same case. 
that you've got to get rid of all the socialism, public schooling, classic example. You know, some of my opponents just limit it to, well, we got to get rid of the Department of Education. That's boring. Ronald Reagan said that. What I would do if I were Romney. <laughs> nice. Well, I, I would make the case, look, as a, feder- as a president, you can't get rid of public schooling, but that's what we need to do to achieve a free society, separate school and state. Because when you plant that seed in people's minds, they'll start thinking about it. If you never plant the seed, why would they ever think about it? Yeah, that's a great point. And um, I don't know. I don't think that anybody, any libertarian would ever disagree that, uh, you know, state education is bad. You know, like public public schooling is bad. Yeah. I think um, usually that's a, I don't know, man. You've got look, some, you've got, we've got some candidates that are just want to do, I don't know what the fuck they want, charter schools or some shit like that. School choice in the same fucking, uh, yeah. uh, no, fuck them. Well, that's my point. That is exactly my point. That they want to reform the system, and they're coming. They want to. They want to appear respectable and credible to mainstream America, and they never want to make the case. And they're scared of freedom. They're absolutely scared that if you abolish public schooling or Social Security or whatever, people will be dying in the streets. The kids won't get educated. They won't learn. Without the state, what will we do? Right. So right. I've always kind of like viewed you and like a lot of the Mises Caucus guys to be a lot of uh, um, economic based libertarians. Do you agree with that? Are you more economic based libertarian or are you like a rights based libertarian? Deontology bu- versus consequential, you mean? Sure. Like that kind of thing? I'm both. I mean, Austrian economics is the core feature of my economic philosophy, and I think it sure. goes right into libertarianism. But first and foremost, I'm a libertarian. And then the economics is part of that, a major okay, part right of it. But first and foremost, I'm a libertarian. Hmm. Yeah, see, I agree with that because I'm like I'm a uh, a rights based libertarian first, yeah. and then but the uh, the economics is just like a nice side effect of the you being know, correct, correct of being yeah <laughs> being right. Uh, <laughs> we do have the moral high ground. We are right. That's a that's a tough thing too as a libertarian. Whenever you're trying, especially whenever you're trying to talk to like non libertarians about what the fuck you believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people aren't 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 uh, swayed by principle by principled arguments. Like that's what compels me. I know that's what compels you. Yeah. And of course, that's what compels uh, Hornberger. But it's just like a lot of people are not swayed by that. You need to be able to. Ma- people want to know like wh- all the what ifs. Like what yeah. are the possibilities, and they need to be shown in a lot of cases. Like this, this, uh, like David Friedman's work, uh, Machinery of Freedom. Like they need to be able to at least see uh, this is a possible course. And maybe even a likely course uh, that mm-hmm. people can take in a free society if the if the if the economy were opened up uh, yeah. to allow. But like that uh, analogy, I don't give a shit who picks the cotton; it's going to get picked. I just want people free. Right. That's. I it. want to abolish slavery. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's an interesting point because there's two levels of argument. There's the moral argument, and then there's the utilitarian argument. Right. And I think a smaller percentage go for the moral argument. But those are the That's people true. that go to the barricades. Nobody goes to the barricades for a cost-benefit analysis mm. or a white paper or something like that. You yes. go to the barricades. The radicals are all are all the moral people. You know? yeah. Right. Yeah, people exactly. who are interested in the uh, in the principle uh, the first principle types. Exactly. They want to be free, now, regardless. You see, let, let's assume that it worked the other we, way. That freedom brought a poor society. Uh, economically, uh, I have to interrupt. I have to say, we had a, a burning question on our show, which was uh, even if libertarianism were to 
pr- were to not produce the most economically beneficial or viable society, like even if uh, if libertarianism were to be completely economically destitute, would you still be a libertarian at the end of it? And like uh, I think like eighty percent or seventy something percent voted yes, I'd still be a libertarian, even if it were to prove to be economically catastrophic. I would too. So that's our that's our listeners. They're, I think most of our listeners are pretty principled in that in that sense. Like even if it were to be bad, and uh, the the consequences were bad, it would still be in their best interest to be a libertarian. Well, that's the point I was going to make. That even if it produced poor people, impoverished society, I would still choose it because yeah. freedom is my top priority. But fortunately, we live in a consistent universe. So the the second level of arguments, the utilitarian argument. That it does bring wealth, it does bring prosperity, it harmonizes people's interests. A good example of this is the drug war. I mean, I take the position, heck, people have a right to ingest whatever they want to ingest. It's their business. They want to destroy themselves with heroin or cocaine or whatever. That's their right. But then that doesn't appeal to a lot of people. The secondary argument is, look what this war has done. It's decimated society. It's brought into existence drug lords and drug gangs and violence. Uh, Asset forfeiture is crooked, corrupt. Uh, mm. racially bigoted, that's why we should, we should get rid of it also. So with those two levels of argument, you're appealing to both people, the utilitarian types and the moral types. Well, yeah. the moral types in a different way, because you're not appealing to their principles. You're just, it's more like the virtue signaling types in that sense. Well, you're saying that you have a right to ingest whatever you want to ingest. You're, that's what freedom is. And if the, if the state can punish you for putting something into your mouth, there's no way you can be considered free. Okay, I guess I can see what yeah. you mean. Okay, yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. So, yeah, I mean, follow, uh, following up on what your point about the impoverishing society, suppose drug legalization, which is what the argument of the drug warriors really, one of, I mean, one of the arguments they use is that more people will go on drugs and most people would go on drugs if you legalize drugs. Let's assume that's really the case. What if you end up with more drug abuse than you would have without drug legalization? I still say legalize drugs. Hey, uh, just one second. You mind if we're going to uh, grab our other guy that just got here? Sounds good. Get him on the mic real quick. Yeah, sorry to ruin ruin the flow here. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> okay. We'll cut this. This a good guy? Oh, yeah, he's a good guy. He's actually um, he's an older, <laughs> kidding, man. An older gentleman who fucking uh, comes to our our uh, Libertarian Party, uh, our, our county affiliate meetings. And uh, his name is Clayton. He's awesome. He's never been on our show before. But uh, he, oh wow, yeah, cool. he likes to he likes to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, awesome. So yeah, we invited him on since Kyle couldn't be on the third mic. So sorry, to, sorry to make you wait. No, no, it's cool. Hey, is he here? Yep. Clayton, what's up, man? Welcome. Thank Welcome. You. I tried to get a hold of you. Yeah. Come around to that uh, chair over there on that mic. What in the world do y'all want me here for? We're not here. <laughs> Say what? You want a beer? Yeah. Would you like one? Yeah. Here you go. I don't know what y'all want me here for. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. So we have Clayton joining us now. Uh, Clayton, This is Clayton's first time. Can you hear? I can hear. Right on. So move in close to the mic, by the way, if you want to. Yeah, there I'll you go. I'll move it closer to you. You guys got your masks on? No. You got uh, <laughs> masks. I don't know. Do you wear masks whenever you go out, Jacob? You know, it's funny you ask that because I, I walked into a Holiday Inn Express last night you know, about down in North Carolina, and I, and I wore a mask, and the desk clerk didn't have one, 
There were three people sitting at a table in there. They didn't have one. Three people got in the elevator. They didn't have one. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm not sure I want to live life like this. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to mask the rest of your life. So we have uh, uh, Clayton on the show. This is Clayton's first time on the show. Uh, we're we're good friends with Clayton. We've known Clayton. He's our for, libertarian grandpa. It is, man. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Hi, Clayton. Glad to meet you. Glad to meet you, too. Thank yeah, you. We've had very long and, and, and fruitful conversations with Clayton, so uh, we're happy to have Clayton on as a guest filling in on the third mic for Kyle this week. They just wanted a little late, though, an Clayton. adult in the room. Yes, I apologize. <laughs> I'm doing not... adult things? I don't know. No, no. They just wanted an adult in the room to temper their... <laughs> How I think we've been we are. really mature, actually, this podcast. We've been very mature. That's okay. I think, I think Hornberger would, would agree. We've been very mature, haven't we? We've been very yeah, professional. Yeah, yeah we've been I, I, I don't know. I think somebody 17 or 16 might have been sufficient. I don't know. Oh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. So, um, so, yeah, we were just talking about, I guess we were kind of uh, talking about minarchism, right? In a, in right. a sense. Um yeah, a lot of our a lot of our listeners are not minarchists. Like I, I it's in, it's got to be in the ninety percentile range. So a lot of people, I'm sure, are very interested in uh, in how uh, the Libertarian Party can possibly uh, bring about. Why more should freedom. a bunch of anarchists uh, support a minarchist? Yeah, that's that's going to be the big question soon. I'm not an anarchist, so they you know they're. Well, you know, it's a fascinating question because I wrote a six-part series at my foundation, the Future of Freedom Foundation, which, as I mentioned his name, I should emphasize, does not endorse my candidacy. They're a nonprofit. But I wrote a six-part series, Why I Favor Limited Government. And anybody who really is interested and wants to dive into this, um, it's, it's an extensive, detailed analysis of why I've never been able to subscribe to the anarchist paradigm. Mm. Um and, you know, I don't know how much deeply you guys want to go into this, but if we're looking at at where we stand today, if we had a federal government... Explain it to they, me like I'm drunk. Well, if we, ended, <laughs> if we ended up with a federal government, the likes of which I've described, where there's no IRS, no income tax, mm-hmm. people are free to live their lives any way they choose, even get rid of the Postal Service, you would never see a federal official. Unless you, you know, went out and committed piracy, I guess that's in the Constitution as a criminal offense. <laughs> uh, that, that, you know, so an, an anarchist in 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 a limited government sense, even if you if you if you limit the states to what I want the state to be limited to, just punishing violent people, that's all. And and I don't favor taxation. L- let's let's assume you've got one criminal law in a state, just one. Can I ask you one that, question, real quick? Yeah. W- what is taxation? To you. Taxation is the forcible taking of money by the state. So from you a private say, person. W- if you're the, no- the nominee, will you t- say on uh, TV that taxation is theft or extortion? I, I would say it's armed robbery. Oh hell yeah! All right, that works for me. That's pretty strong. Yeah, that's really what it is. I mean, the IRS comes after you with guns, and and when if you refuse to pay your taxes and and you refuse to give up your house after they foreclosed your lien, they're going to be there with guns. Yeah, but and, is it just uh, the IRS that you need to worry about? Like, even if we abolish the IRS, wouldn't you still have uh, state agents coming after you for what's county due, agents? What's due to them? Or yeah. of course, agents? of course. No, that's why I'm saying there's two levels that we're talking about here. Sure, sure, sure. That ju- just because I-, I can free people at the federal level doesn't necessarily mean you're free at the state level. I mean, you may still have Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, your state IRS, your state income tax, 
That's why I'm saying is that when when the presidential candidate, I think, should be going out making the case for what freedom is generally, not just at the federal level, but what are the principles of a free society? That's that's why I keep telling uh, LP members, you want a bold campaign. I'm your campaign that's going to be bold because I'm going to be telling people what a free society looks like at all levels of government. Oh, no. You're saying you don't support a UBI? As a libertarian? <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, they shame. call it a UBI. It's really funny. It's really just a welfare program. That's all Dude, it is. Exactly, man. man. It's, it's a just fancy just word for a welfare, welfare program, and it's funded by taxation, yeah. primarily income taxation in the IRS. But their their whole argument for it, like uh, Larry Sharp and uh, Mash, is just like, we we're all we're doing is just paying back uh, the taxpayers. You know, we took the money. <laughs> we're just paying it back. Well, that's the same argument that Jorgensen uses and, and, and Gray uses and I'm sure Amash uses for Social Security yeah, yeah. And, and Medicare. We put it in. We have a right to get it back. What they ignore in this is the money has been gone. The money that they took from Absolutely. you was spent. And so they have to steal the money from younger people. And that's what they don't like to talk about. Then in order to fund Social Security and Medicare, and 50, you got $50 trillion in unfunded liabilities. That $50 trillion, I don't know how, many, how old y'all are, that's coming from you. And so when they talk about this UBI and welfare programs, you know, it, 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 you're just stealing either from yourself or from other people. This is Frederick Bastiat's great line, that the state is the great fictitious entity where everyone seeks mm-hmm. to live at the expense of everyone else. Yeah, the uh, thing, so, it's just like uh, it's one thing to uh, take from somebody and then redistribute it. Like— uh, if that's the argument for libertarian UBI, it's like, isn't that kind of inefficient? Uh, you're going to take it from me, and then it has to go through this all this bureaucratic process to get back to me. <laughs> uh, isn't that wildly inefficient? Why tax me for that in the first place? You know, you know why that, the twelve thousand dollars or whatever it is you're going to give us? Man, I wish you were in these debates so you could make that point because I've been making the <laughs> I've been making the point, and and some of these debate hosts they just don't seem to get it. My opponents don't seem to get it. The argument I've used is, okay, my plan is to tax everybody $6,000 every month so that I can send you back a welfare check of $5,000. And the 1000 is to, so I get paid for doing this service. <laughs> yeah. Now we, have to, now we have to pay all the people in charge of redistributing it and do all the paperwork. And there's all these levels of, uh, of checks yeah, and balances. Send, a, send five cents to Washington to get two cents back. Yeah, dude. Right. <laughs> And then, but it's the same thing applies. Let's take the, the crown jewel of the welfare state, Social Security. They take $2 trillion out of people's pockets to fund that in Medicare. Why not leave the $2 trillion in the hands of younger taxpayers and cut out the middleman, the Social Security Administration and the Medicare Administration? Well, now people can now take care of their parents if they need the money. They've got the money themselves. I mean, government doesn't have any money than what it's taken. And so the argument is younger people are bad people. You can't trust them to be good and caring. That's a tremendous insult. That's right. It's a horrible insult. Clayton, you think that's true? (laughs) He's like the ones I know, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But the other flip side, let's say children say, I I hate my parents, I'm not going to help them. You've got private groups. You, you would have immediately parents. the foundation for the former Social Security rips, recipients that people would donate to, millions of dollars, where people that, that say, I really need help. I was on Social Security. You think the private charity is not going to come through and help people out like that? 
I mean, this is what we want. We need to do in this country. We need to recap. I don't like the argument that we we would rely on private. I mean, I understand the argument that like Americans give billions of dollars a year in charity, despite in spite of being taxed. I I think the point is like before we had all these socialist programs that charity did take care of a lot of people. And it was all voluntary charity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just going off a historical basis. The, yeah, I actually don't know the numbers on that. Uh, I don't know the per numbers. Per capita. But, yeah, before yeah. and after. Like, what? how many people, like, what do people give before and after income tax? I can, I can tell you this. Welfare distribution. In the, in the 19th century, there was no income tax, no IRS, and no welfare program. Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Uh, Americans were became not only, especially in the late 1800s, early 1900s, they became the wealthiest society in history. And this despite thousands of penniless immigrants flooding American shores every day because there was open immigration. And also, it was the most charitable nation in history. Mm-hmm. When Alexis de Tocqueville came over here from France and ended up writing this great book, Democracy in America, he marveled at all the private charity. He said there were so many private charity groups that you just couldn't keep track of everybody. This is what happens when you have, leave people free to accumulate wealth. This is how the hospitals got built, the museums, the libraries, the, the, every, the churches, all voluntarily. That's what I want to recapture in this country. That's awesome. All right, man. I think we're going to move on to some uh, to, to the mailbag question. We have a lot of questions from yep. listeners, we, don't we? We do. We've got a pretty full Pretty mailbag. sizable. People were pretty excited. <laughs> yeah, they were. Um, unlike when we had uh, some other people on. They didn't yeah. give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, uh, so do you want your the questions specifically to you first or the general questions? I'll let you choose which one you want. It doesn't for. matter. Whatever you want. Uh, we'll save the specific questions for the end then. All right. Okay. So BDB, all these questions come from our Discord server, by the way. Uh, BDB okay. asks, if a person is dead, does their body become eligible property? Does their, pro- does their body become eligible property? Eligible. Yeah. Like, so yeah. it just becomes unowned after their consciousness passes, that right. kind of thing, I guess? Yeah, I guess. And then they can be homesteaded <laughs> <laughs> immediately. Or, or auction? Or auction. That's a good point. I've never thought the about organs that. Are valuable. <laughs> organs are the valuable or- assets. Yeah, the organs. Yeah. yeah I, I have to admit, I have never considered that question before, but I would assume it... Belongs to the heirs, maybe. Yeah, it has to have some sort of. Yeah, it has to have some sort of inheritance, I think, to it. Like anything else, like uh, Walter Block, I know has uh, all those analogies with like the watches. You know, like yeah. you got your grandfather's watch, and like how he, how, how he kind of justifies a libertarian version of reparations. Be kind of like that yeah. with anything else. Like your body is property, just like a watch. I would assume. This is why I love libertarians, man, because they come out with some really <laughs> interesting stuff. <laughs> so. uh Midget asks, since the... His name is Midget? Well, yeah, this guy is. Yeah. Okay. He says, uh, since the uh, current quarantine nonsense has proven the boog will never actually happen, how do libertarians expect to gain actual freedom back? Could voting what actually will, work? The what will ha- uh, not happen? The boot? The boog, like boogaloo. Oh, Horm- Jacob, are you not uh, familiar with the term boog? Boogaloo? I am not. Sorry. Oh my god! I wish we had Kyle here to red pill you. I, <laughs> whatever. I think it comes from uh, like a Civil War II electric boogaloo. So people right. just call it the boog. Whatever. It's supposed to mean like um, rising up against the state in a in a in a violent way. Would you say it's violent, Davey? I would. I always assume they mean violent. Kyle's Kyle's version of 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 a boogaloo Civil War II scenario is going off to live. Just separate yourself from the state. Form like a more agorist society, 
And if, okay. they, if they aggress on you, then... I disagree with his as- assumption because that's called secession. <laughs> everyone everyone has a different definition of it. It's very hazy. Yeah. I think it has something to do with that, of, 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 a, of a more violent and physical I, I think resistance. It, I think what he's trying to say is, since it's obvious after all these ridiculous regulations of wear your damn mask, you stay at home, yeah. all these other things, people are accepting of it. And not, not only are they accepting of it, they are begging for it in some cases is okay like calls for freedom lost okay uh i get it that that this is not surprising i mean this is uh, why there was never an emergency or crisis exception in the bill of rights because our ancestors understood that emergencies and crises are the time-honored way by which people lose their liberty at the hands of their own government Mm. because they get scared and, and the government says, just trade your liberties away and we'll keep you safe and secure. And then they never get their liberty back. So it, but it's not surprising. This, this is human nature. What, uh, what, what, what I'm proposing in this campaign is that we take to the American people a whole new foundation for America. Um, and I've been arguing this with respect to health care for 30 years. Get government entirely out of health care. Entirely. Centers for Disease Control, Medicare, Medicaid, the whole thing. Separate health care in the state. The way we separated um, uh, church and state, and then you, when this kind of thing happens, you you look for the free market, the, the dynamism of the free market. There's no shortage of mask in a free market or testing kit, and then <laughs> yeah, you exactly. look to the professionals, and then, but also you do more than that. You you get rid of this monetary dysfunction, get rid of uh, government paper irredeemable currency, restore sound money, where the Fed can't just print up money like it's doing today, like it's going out of style. And then you you re- a whole new economic system where people keep everything they earn. I mean, look how many people don't have money to get through one or two months of, of uh, unemployment with savings. Yep. In, in my kind of uh, system— I can barely afford an OnlyFans account in this economy. <laughs> <laughs> and this is supposed to be the height of the OnlyFans titties that are on the Internet right now, and I can't even, I can't even afford one. No one has a job. <laughs> Uh, it's horrible. I mean, they've, they've locked down the whole economy, but this is what happens with their socialist system, and that's what it is. It's a socialist health care system, centrally planned, uh, Medicare and Medicaid, redistribution of wealth. I, I wrote a book, I published a book in 1994 called The Dangers of Socialized Medicine, and of course, you know, they, they, nobody listens. I mean, all they want to do is health <laughs> savings accounts and Obamacare and stuff. The only solution to this morass is get government out of health care, a total free market health care system. And hopefully people are doing some soul searching and realizing this is a life or death decision now. And I'm, I'm, I've said it for 30 years and I'll say it again. You went out of this morass, you got to get government out of health care. Totally. At state level, local level, federal level. All right. It's the only solution. So taxi driver for the disabled asks, if someone trespasses on someone else's property, do you have the right to intervene, or is that up to the property owner? Uh, I think you do not have a right to intervene. I think that's up to the property owner. Unless if the property a, owner asks you to help out. Exactly. And I, if it's a murder attempt, though, I think you do have the right to intervene. Sure. To, sure. Pr- to protect somebody. But a trespass, I think that's up to the owner to... Uh, to handle now, I, I guess a neighbor can say, "Hey, get off that property! You don't belong there." But I don't think he has a right to go in there and use force like the owner would to get get him off the property. That's fair. Unless unless the owner asks him to. That's fair. Uh, Fart Pimpson asks. He says, "Are monopolies bad?" Yeah, oh. they're horribly bad. 
Ooh, but we have really? to understand what a monopoly is. A real monopoly is a, a business that's in business because the government has enacted a law that gives it the exclusive uh, right to produce uh, something. The I post office. I don't know. I kind of disagree. Do you I, not think monopolies could exist in like uh like yeah. in Enkapistan? No, no, because really? you, you you can have big businesses in a in a free market, but the only way they can get big is by pleasing customers it, it does depend on what you mean by monopoly like if that means that's the only but it has to do with a geographical region so i mean like i can i can imagine a world where uh someone has a monopoly on internet service in a geographical region like within uh, i don't know a 20 mile radius we're gonna we're the one that wires everything up and buys all the land to do that but they don't have to be a monopoly for long. Maybe they just offer the best prices for stuff. But I don't a, see. I don't see a, like an inherent logical problem with that. But a monopoly indicates that nobody else can infringe on the, um, on the market in that area. Uh, so no one else could join that market because of the regulations. Then it wouldn't be a mo- monopoly. Well, uh, I get you. What it, I'm saying. No, that just means that to me that uh, you can topple the monopoly. So they're not a monopoly for long. A monopoly doesn't mean it's permanent, right? It just means it's for now. It doesn't stretch on into infinity, right? It doesn't well, have to your, your, your classic case of a monopoly is the postal service. Nobody can compete against the postal service and the delivery of first-class mail. Yeah, yeah. Very Everybody good example. It's state, Very it's state good. protected. Exactly. That's why. I mean, so, uh, Spooner state, tried. Yeah, the state, yeah, right? The yeah, state you get the is state the out of it. On, on, on force, right? That's the yeah, if you look at the top 20 companies from th- from 30 years ago and the top 20 companies today, there's virtually none of them that are still on the list. That's the dynamics of a free of a free market type of economy. If you don't satisfy cons- customers, I don't care how big you are, you're going out of business. Fair. As long as the state doesn't protect you with some kind of protection against competition law, like the, they do with a postal service. So uh, Sasquatch asks, do you think having a libertarian president would actually make a difference, being that he would have the rest of the branches of government fighting his every step? Absolutely, yes, uh, because he can, he can immediately lift, for example, all executive orders that have been establishing sanctions around the world. Uh, and, and these yeah. sanctions, to me, they're the height of evil, uh, that killing innocent people in Iran and, and North Korea is a way to achieve a political end. He could rescind all those. He could rescind President Trump's trade war that's been done by executive orders. He could pardon every single nonviolent offender, including drug offenders, uh, and yeah. Edward Snowden. So there's still who doesn't some deserve. impact. Yeah, sure. Oh, he could have huge impact. Yeah. He could also, when the debt ceiling comes up, he could say, that we ain't, we're not lifting this debt ceiling one time. And if they say, well, the federal government's got to shut down, then you'd say, well, yeah, I guess shut that's just the down. case, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, Ghosts of Rebellion asks specifically to you, uh, does your plan to abolish the IRS and federal income tax mean that the state down to the county or municipality level will still be free to impose their own income tax? Well, yeah. I mean, that's why I said earlier, we're dealing with different levels of government. Since I'm running for president, I, I focus my attention on the federal government. But I'm against all income taxes. I'm against all taxes in general. You, there's no way to morally justify a, a tax, the forcible taking of money from another person yeah. to fund a church, 
to fund a, so a museum. You, so wouldn't you like for the uh, federal government to be able to have the power to impose upon states to say, hey, you can't impose a federal income tax? No. Well, no. You, you, can, you, can, you can do it by constitutional okay. amendment. I don't have any problem with that where it I says see. no federal government and no state shall ever impose an income tax. So even I though like you that. personally believe that income tax is uh, maybe immoral or should be illegal, um, you can't impose that onto another state because of the powers invested in you by the Constitution. Exactly. That you've got a federal system that divides the federal government and the states. And you, the last thing we want is some libertarian dictator... Uh, going and arresting people in the states because they wanted to have a local sales tax or something. Uh, you Fair. you have this division of powers. It's what really is kind of makes people more secure. So you're into Once the you, localization idea? Yeah, I mean decentralization of power is always good. Yeah, uh, and so the, I favor that. But decentralization of power in and of itself is not freedom. You've got to get. You've also got to get freedom at the local level. I mean, if you get rid of the drug war at the federal level and you still have a drug war at the state level, okay, you're a little bit better off because maybe the state is, maybe, I don't know, lean, more lenient, I don't know, but it's not freedom. You've got to get rid of drug laws at all levels of government to be free, and that's the point I keep making. It's not enough to get the government, federal government out of this thing. I see. So you're, you, you are definitely more of a uh, vote-with-your-feet uh, kind, of, kind of libertarian. <laughs> like, if, if, if your state has stupid laws, like, get rid of all the federal laws. If your state has stupid laws or unjust laws, then move and <laughs> go to a state that doesn't. I mean, I agree with that for like in yeah, Pakistan. Yeah, but, I, but I still think you have to make the case for why your state should be free and what it means to be free so that you don't have to move. Uh, sometimes you have mm. to fight for freedom. So if your state has a drug law that's criminalizing things, yeah, okay, you can move to California that say they've legalized drugs, but how about just fighting in the state of Texas to get rid of the drug laws and say this, mm. is, not, this is not freedom? So what do you mean by fighting? By, by advocating for drug legalization. <clears throat> so then we're left with having to convince the people of Texas that removing drug laws are to their advantage. Exactly. Okay. That this yeah. is what a free society is all about. I mean, this is, this is essentially the fight we have right now is, is persuading people what freedom means. That's the first thing because most people think they're free. And that was the big revelation for me when I became a libertarian. I was shocked to learn that I wasn't free. I'd about been lied when, to. When was that, by the way, for you? That, I was about 28 years old. It was 1978. I was a young lawyer practicing law, and I was a liberal Democrat, and I believed government should be taking care of people. I was on the Legal Aid Board of Trustees, which provided free legal assistance to poor people. And I was shocked when I discovered libertarianism. It was in a little series of four books that I discovered in the public library there in Laredo. And what were those four books? I wasn't free. I'm sorry? What were the four books? Uh, They had been published 20 years before by the Foundation for Economic Education in New York. Uh, They were called Essays on Liberty. Okay. And they they were a collection of essays by people like Ludwig von Mises, Friedrich Hayek, uh, Leonard Reed. Uh, I mean, just hardcore, no compromise essays. And that's why I keep, you know, in this race, people say Jacob's too radical. He's going to scare people. <laughs> I mean, Radicals have, is just a, a dirty word for principled. Exactly. And, and if, if those wow, principles true. had not been enunciated in 1950 and published in those books, I would never have become a libertarian. I needed to be shocked out of this, of this stupor that I'd been indoctrinated with, that I was a free person and America was a free country <laughs> and, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance that I'd been forced to do every day, liberty and justice for all. What nonsense. What a lie. 
Dude, hell yes. <laughs> yeah. huh. um, so, Rooster asks, do you like the Hornburger memes? If so, what is your favorite one? Uh, I don't think I'm really an expert in those. I haven't seen a whole lot. <laughs> okay. Are you telling but us tell you're you, not a meme I, lord? I, I, don't know. I don't know whether this would be included in it, but they just put out one with me and Vermin Supreme going back in time <laughs> in the time machine. Fuck yes. That yeah. is absolutely priceless. So man. this, I this is a uh, perfect segue to uh, Rooster's second question. Uh, if you got get the nomination, who's your number one choice as uh, VP? And I'm going to add this in there. And why is it Vermin Supreme? <laughs> uh, hey, I, I've got enough problems winning this nomination, man. I, I don't, yeah. I can't even go there. <laughs> you know, I got with this guy jumping in with all the mainstream media hoopla and the the Congress and all that stuff. I got myself one hell of a fight here. So before I ask uh, Kyle's uh, question, he's our other uh, co-host. I do want to know: Does Amash actually offend you more than Judge Jim Gray? Or is it that he's your main competition? <laughs> offend him. Well, neither one of them offend me. I mean, I don't look at it like that. You know, How I, dare I, you? I, you know, we, we get off this debate stage, and we're all friends. It's like two lawyers that go in there and fight it out in court and then go have a beer that night. Sure. Uh, and that's the way we are. We're all friends. I haven't met a mosh, but I'm sure on a personal level, we'd be fine. There wouldn't be any big deal. What I find offensive are his positions, you know, favoring sanctions, favoring Social Security, favoring the whole welfare state, the standard Republican-esque, libertarian-leaning, conservative perspective. Keep the welfare state, keep the warfare state, and just reform it. Get rid of the Patriot Act, get rid, reform the FISA court, uh, reform Social Security. That's what I find offensive because it's not freedom. I want. I'm at a point in my life where... I'm, I don't have the luxury you guys do. Well, let's get let's get freedom thirty years from now. I, don't I want, want freedom, freedom now before I, I pass on this earth, and that necessarily means I got to go out and make the case for a free society. So, what what you just said there—that it's it's a uh, how do you damn I should have uh, wrote that down what you said, but um. I, that I the, find his positions offensive because they want to reform the welfare right welfare the reforming state. the reforming yeah that's the offensive part because it's not based on any kind of principle it's like a a compromised position that does nothing right like the, okay I, the, can i interject here a little bit um i think that a lot of our listeners and probably a lot of uh libertarians i see this on i'm i'm active on twitter i i, I try to keep my finger on the pulse here uh there are a lot of libertarians these days, especially ANCAPs, who associate themselves with agorism. But they're not know, fucking delegates to I the know, fucking convention, know, though. Yeah, ex- oh, no, of course not, because ag- they they oppose the Libertarian Party as a meaningful vehicle towards liberty. We'll get, we'll get into that later, though. Oh, you think we will? Okay. But, uh, um, so Kyle has two questions. He's oh, okay, our, we're going to get to Kyle's He's questions. our absent uh, co-host. <laughs> His is, uh, what makes you better... A better choice than Kokesh. Kokesh. That's his. That's it. That's Kyle's pick. Is Kokesh? I guess. You think? That's what he said. All right. Well, I love Adam Kokesh. I mean, I I think he's one of the greatest libertarians around, and and I deeply admire his civil disobedience, his life where he's taking a firm stance. It takes a lot of courage to do civil disobedience. And uh, getting arrested is his hobby. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. But you got to admire the guy because he stands up for what he does. He's like he's like Gandhi, you know, or Thoreau. They, <laughs> the Gandhi of being arrested. That should be yeah, his. Yeah, uh, well, he throws it. He's like he throws himself as a monkey wrench into the machinery of government. The Martin Luther King of hating oh, cops. The machinery of government. Love right, it. and 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 cops injustice and so forth. So 
it's just his plan that I object to. And and mm. and we've just we've gone round and round about that. That his plan is to okay, on day one declare the federal government um, bankrupt and and put it out of business. Well, there's no way that Democrats and Republicans in Congress are going to permit that. So you're going to see an impeachment immediately. You're going to see sure. a conviction immediately. You're going to see the 82nd Airborne Division at the White House. Saying, <laughs> you, you want to go do this the easy way or the hard way? And then and he Coach then his, would pick hard way. Definitely hard way. <laughs> then, and then his plan of having 50 state sovereigns. I mean, he's on the right track on decentralization. I totally agree with him on that. But he wants 50 sovereign states with no constitutional restrictions, no mm. restrictions on powers. He wants to so, dissolve but, the presidency. And, and the to, entire yeah, federal custodian government. Of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what's it yeah, called but that's, that? That's not going to happen. Government. He's going to get impeached if he tries that. And, and he's going to get convicted. But on, on the overall philosophy, he and I are on the same page. I mean, if I dismantle right 98% of what the federal government does, I guarantee you Amash would be an extremely happy man. Because philosophically, we don't believe the federal government should be doing these things. He wants to go 100%. I want to go 98%, but I want to do it the right way. I want to go uh, get the American people behind us, that we need to legalize drugs. You go through Congress. A little more gradually. congressman, you pressure them, and you get this thing repealed the right way. Okay, right on. So Kyle's final question, and uh, since PRL asked you a fun question, we're going to ask you a fun question too. So, are you a tit or an ass guy? I have no answer to that. <laughs> what? Come on, man. You can well, always say why not means. both. Oh, yeah, he doesn't whatever, know what it means. Whatever, dude. Whenever you, whenever you look at a woman uh, who, who is... Or man, if that's your who, preference. Who is whatever. your wife? Who is your wife? Uh, <laughs> what's the first... What are your eyes uh, flicker to back and forth? What, what? <laughs> flicker to... <laughs> Oh. Next question. <laughs> All right. Good All right. So uh, I guess that's it for the mailbags, right? That's it for the mailbag. Do we have any we voicemails? We got actually one voicemail. I have not listened to this yet. I don't oh, know what God. we're in for. <laughs> so, um, we'll see this could be here. disastrous. We never know. Motherfucker! You got another Floridian here? Uh, what? Basically, the Boogaloo. Okay, I'm listening to a podcast right now from y'all. It's, uh, uh, 35? Basically, the Boogaloo, I, it's all a different, uh, view in each person's eyes, but it's the same general view of it. Like, fuck the law, fuck you, government, <laughs> fuck you, fed boy, we gonna die, and we gonna take our shit back. Ah. And when I say take our ship back, That's I mean, terrible plan. we're going to take the fucking country back and have an actual free state where we ain't getting fucked on our taxes with no fucking lube up the ass. <laughs> Bullshit. He sounds drunk as shit, dude. <laughs> he does. So he's, cons- so he's just saying his version of, because we had an argument about that. Like, what, what does the yeah. boogaloo look like to you? Like, what does the actual armed resistance look like? Uh, in reality, so yeah, his his reality is like, yeah, it's going to be blood in the streets. He wants to die for nothing. He's ready to die. That's this guy's idea of the boogaloo. Sounds fucking pointless. But let me tell you what the problem with this guy is. <laughs> <laughs> where do we start? He's high. <laughs> he doesn't know how to let people know where he stands. Do you think that he just hasn't read enough books? What? <laughs> what is? 
<laughs> no, no, you, you just you just don't know. You don't know. I'm, this is a joke, man. <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. There's no way I'm fuck this guy's a delegate. <laughs> uh, but okay, so our burning question for tonight is: If the liber- this is actually a variation of what Rooster asked, and he gets to pick the song, the outro song tonight. But anyways. If the Libertarian Party doesn't put up a principled candidate as its nominee, is it still a viable vehicle for liberty? Well, that's a fascinating question because, you know, I, I, I th- it's hard to say. It depends on what that candidate is out advocating. But you see, reform, advocating reforming like a Tea Party type of, of platform yes. reforming this. Yes. I don't see that get you freedom. That's my whole yes. point in this is let's run a candidate. That's why I entered this race, because I knew Amash was going to enter the race. And do you want that kind of campaign? You've got it. I mean, you want a warmed over Republican light Tea Party kind of campaign. Amash is your model. But I don't see that that gets you freedom. At best, it just gets you an improvement. Ta- let's take slavery. If, if people in, in 1850 <laughs> said, let's reform Sorry. slavery. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop freedom. If you want yes. freedom, you've got to make the case for freedom. Now, people may reject you, but that's okay. B- the only way you have the chance you have achieving freedom is making that case and then hoping that enough people join up with you. But making the case for reform, you have no hope for freedom at all. So is that a yes so, or a no to the question? <laughs> the, the, the thing is, look, can I, can I interject here? So as far as I see it, uh, a lot of our listeners are kind of divided between there's there's like it's almost like 50 50. It's almost like round it's not just our it's not just our listeners. It's the entire entirety of the Libertarian Party de- delegation. <laughs> you could be right. You could be right. Uh, I don't know about the Libertarian Party delegation. Well, what I'm talking about right now is what I see whenever I, whenever I engage on whenever I engage uh, like social media. Yeah, but those for, guys are not delegates. I'm pick- telling you, like, I don't in, care about delegates. I'm it talking about- does matter because uh, those yeah, are the guys yeah. who are going to be picking the nominee next fucking Friday and Saturday. But that, I, I, what I'm saying, Davey, is people who are not necessarily engaged with the party. I'm saying like libertarians as a whole, party or not, small think, L, small L, okay, are I think are mostly uh, disenfranchised with the Libertarian Party right now. What do you think, Clayton? Have you, what do you, have you, have you, what's, what's your thoughts on this? How do you feel about the Libertarian Party right now? Well, I'm not very interested in the party itself. I couldn't care less uh, about the party. Yeah. I'm a Libertarian, small L. Sure. And that's what's important to me. So I'm looking for a candidate who's going to spread a message that, um, waters it down, right? Well, I'm not necessarily. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want it watered down necessarily. Do I want it put out in. I want it put out in front of the public eye so that people see it. Yeah. And if we don't have a candidate that puts it out in front of the public eye, not necessarily because it's his fault, but because um, no one covers it. Is then, it is it worth sacrificing principles for media coverage? Yes. Really? Ooh. Yeah. I'm so hard Ooh. fuck no on that one. Well, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, I don't, don't, I don't put, mind discussing things with yeah. people wanna, that are wrong. You don't want to put the, the wrong uh, 
the wrong ideas out there for the mass the masses to consume. What if they're what if they're right? out there saying this retarded crazy? shit like uh, Jim Gray is? I'm not. I'm not, what I'm not saying is that that I that I prefer that. But what I prefer is to have it put out in the public, uh, and and if if nobody if nobody gets to listen to what's being said because the candidate mm. is ignored, then we might as well be in this room talking about it and have a half dozen listeners. We've so, got more than that. I can show you. Hey, 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 easy, buddy, easy. <laughs> but I would rather be ignored off of my ignored and hated off of my principles than get media coverage for um, things that don't line up with our platform. Okay. Uh, yeah. Jacob, how do you feel about this? I couldn't agree more. When when I when I was invited to serve on the platform committee back in 1990, I said no. I said, because this is a political party and it's going to water down uh, principles for the sake of votes. Well, what, what was the what was the climate of that party at the time? I mean, were, were they really kind of just like screwing everything up and they just were completely unprincipled? I didn't know. I, mean, I didn't know. When I got the phone call from an activist yeah. in California named Bill Evers, I didn't know. I hadn't been keeping track of the party. But I just assumed it's a political party. It's going to water down principles. And I had just started FFF whose mission was to present this principled, uncompromising case for libertarianism. So he says, let me send you a, a copy of the party platform. And I said, sure, send it on. And I knew it was just going to be tripe. Well, I read this thing, and it is pure a pure libertarian manifesto. Abolish Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, abolish immigration controls, abolish the IRS, abolish the CIA. I called Bill up and I said, man, it would be an honor to serve on the, on the platform committee of this party. I, I said, this is incredible. I didn't ask how many people they had, how many members. I didn't ask what they had ballot status for, how many votes their candidates were getting. None of that mattered to me. This was a special party that adhered to principle regardless of the political consequences. And that's what I think this party should do. It should be focusing on its principles. How do we get these candidates to come back and, and adhere to these principles? Because once you lose your principles, what have you got? You got the Tea Party. And, and uh, that's not what, what I'm here. And it's, in a larger extent, it's the movement. It's not just the party. You've got a large segment of this movement that threw in the towel on achieving a genuinely free society decades ago. And they've settled for health savings accounts and school vouchers and Social Security mm -hmm. privatization, and selective foreign interventionism. People's minds are not changed. No, People and, still believe and what, in that stuff. who cares for a warmed-over serfdom? You think slaves would have been any happier if you enacted a law providing for fewer lashings and and better work conditions yeah. and better food? Ma yeah. Maybe, but it's not freedom. So, in order to achieve right. freedom, you've got to make the case for dismantling these programs. If all you do is reform and you get all the publicity in the world, Amash may get all the publicity in the world, but it's going to be because of a Republican-oriented campaign, the same kind of campaign he runs for in Congress. That's not freedom. So what's the publicity for? What's he going to accomplish? Uh, Ron Paul didn't run under the, the Libertarian Party ticket. He ran as a Republican. Do you think that Ron Paul made a mistake? Should he have ran as a, as a Libertarian? I don't think it makes any difference. I think what matters is what are your principles? And, and by the way, he did run it. He was the 88 LP presidential candidate. Correct. Uh, but right, but that's I, true. see, I disagree. I think the LP can be a great vehicle. I think America, that the LP could lead America to a free society, but only by running a candidate that's going to be making the case for liberty. People pay attention in politics. And if you waste this opportunity 
and and run a candidate that's just going to call for reform and you get higher votes maybe or you get more publicity you've wasted this huge opportunity to go out among the american people and say we want a free society this is what a free society is all about this is what this party is all about and that's why i think every lp member needs to do a lot of soul searching you know what are you here for what do you want in life why are you in this party and i think if they do a lot of soul searching they're going to say we're not here for ballot access we're not here for big vote totals we are here to achieve a free society we want a free society that's why they joined this party and that's what we need to restore here and that's why i want to want this nomination so bad because i want to go out there and tell people this is what a free society is you want it fine if you don't fine but here's your choice all right so i've got a uh, question for you so I don't know if you have been keeping up with the LNC business and that clusterfuck of why we can't have nice things. Um, how do you feel that this online nomination is going to go next Friday and Saturday? Well, it's impossible to say since it's never happened before, but I, I think they made the right decision <laughs> to wait till July means that we miss ballot access in many states and there's lawsuits there. And um, then you have very little time to start campaigning. I mean, we're ready to hit the ground running with my campaign. Wait, we're, they're still doing it online? They're, they're doing the presidential president and vice president nomination online, and then everything else You're will be at me. will be at Orlando Convention. But listen, they we, still have to do it in May. We, like they we, have to stick to that date. Mm, yeah, they, they didn't have to, but this is what they decided to do. Wow. But now this the, that has to be ratified at the Orlando Convention. Which, Whether so, they're going to do it first, yeah. and then they're going to say this is valid later. I mean, what if a bunch of you know, what if it goes to the Pragfag route in uh, at the online convention, and then the the entire Mises Caucus oh, shows up oh, and is like, oh, oh yeah, we're not oh. ratifying this. We're putting up who we want to put up. I mean, wh- how does imagine? that stop that? You know, it it could. This is a it's a ridiculous nonsense of uh, what they think is going. It, it, it can't be bound until it's done at convention. Well, it's, there's risks no matter what you do. I mean, we don't even know what's going to happen in July. They, they, they could This thing could come surging back, and then we don't have a convention at all. And I mean, there's risks of, of whichever route you take. And I, it just seems to me that this is the best route for whoever wins the presidential nomination, that he's got five or six months to compete rather than two and a half months. Um, sure. And, and I think that's what matters, but there's got to be lawsuits regardless. It might as well get them over with, as far as I'm concerned. Like Justin yeah. Amash just came out of nowhere. Oh, I say that. No, no, nowhere. Dude. Well, hold on. He was, hold on, hold on. He was okay. him and Jim Gray all were right, both fucking right. recruited by uh, fucking Sarwak. Not in out time. of nowhere, but it, it was just like he he had every opportunity to announce his his move to run. Yeah, but it, it was it was but, on purpose though, man. He didn't want to join the fucking debates. There's no way he wanted to join the debates in Florida or in all, <laughs> yeah. any of the other places. Because I, I promise you I would have he given some hard fucking sma- questions. Justin smashed. Hey, I've yeah. done I've done about sixteen of these debates and there is no doubt in my mind that that's his strategy. That you know he said, well I haven't had time to really decide. I was at Freedom Fest. Bullshit. He and, just hasn't read any books. <laughs> no, I, I was at I was at Freedom Fest in July. Freedom Fest is a big libertarian conservative conference that Mark Skousen has every year in in Vegas in July. Um, he was there. Amash was there. I was there. Uh, Skousen came up to me and said, "Oh, the big buzz is that uh, Amash is running." And then he he was up there on the stage, 
three sessions, which, by the way, he never mentioned the Libertarian Party one time. And he still doesn't have Libertarian Party on his website. No, no. Uh, and th- and so Skousen says, anybody here want to declare for president? So he has been doing this. I mean, I, when I announced in at the South Carolina LP convention on November 2nd, I knew this guy was going to jump in the race because I knew that he that he could never get reelected, that the Trump machine's too powerful. I saw what they had done to Terry Sanford in South Carolina, and I said, Amash doesn't have a prayer in Congress. So I knew he was going to jump into this, but I knew he was going to come in late to get all the publicity and avoid the debates. See, in these debates, they're hard. People think they're really easy, but they're really not. You, you're under, uh, you're on the hot seat every minute of that debate. You, you make one screw up and yeah. everybody's pouncing, everybody's scrutinizing your positions. That's why he announced late, so he wouldn't have to go through that process. So he's been one debate, you know, whoop-dee-doo. I've done 16 of these things. Yeah. Yeah, dude, it's like, it's, it's, I find it very insulting to all the candidates that put in real work going to every state convention. Hell, I know um, I didn't get to talk to you much at a Florida convention because you were you hopped. I think you hopped on a plane and went to another state during the day and then was back for the debate that night. <laughs> Is that true? For real? <laughs> yeah, I woke up at 430 on Saturday morning. I caught a flight to Atlanta, then a flight to Little Rock, Ubered over to Conway, Arkansas, gave a talk to the Arkansas LP, who has probably oh about four God. or five delegates, and then uh, caught the flights back and did the Florida debate Saturday night. They got there in 30 minutes to spare. Yeah. Um, I want, I want this nomination. I've been going to big conventions and small conventions. I went up to Vermont, where they have about three delegates. I want this nomination. And, you know, here's the other thing about Amash. I've been to some, oh gosh, maybe 15 or 16 state conventions. And the thing is, he could have been coming to these state conventions since January. You don't have to be a candidate to come to a state convention. You can just right. come and give a talk. Yeah, you were at the Florida convention last year. I'm sorry? You were at the Florida convention last year, way before you announced. Last year, I wasn't a candidate. I gave a talk and I hung out with libertarians. He doesn't want to hang out with us. He thinks we have cooties or something. He could have come to all <laughs> those conventions every weekend from January to March Without campaign. He could have. Instead, exactly. He announces at the last minute and says, crown me because I'm getting all this publicity. And, oh, and don't scrutinize <sighs> my positions because those Prince don't count. demands his I know, crown. I know. Man. And we, we 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 heard about this. Like, there was whisperings in the Libertarian Party of Justin no, and Mash might yeah. run. No, I'm telling you. Time. I know for a fact Nick Sarwak himself asked people in your campaign to join the Mash campaign well before all the coronavirus shit started. They declined, but still, it's it, this is just orchestrated. This is like controlled opposition, in my opinion. Well, in in a, in a sense, hang on, my microphone got disconnected. It, no problem. In a sense, it's a it's a brilliant strategy because it's razzle dazzle. It's done. It, it's been done in previous campaigns um, where some people just jump in at the last minute amidst a bunch of publicity and people get all awed and struck by it and say, oh, my gosh, look at the publicity, look at the publicity. And so in that sense, it's kind of a smart strategy. He avoids having his position scrutinized and challenged through a series of 15 debates over the course of weeks. Yeah, exact months. Excruciating weeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're, they're tough. I mean, when you go into you know, Illinois for a debate at eight o'clock at night and you got to catch a flight at 6 a.m. to get to the Virginia party. 
I mean, you're under there's a, there's stress in these things, not to mention the fact that in conversations, people are challenging you and you're con- and asking you about your positions. He felt I'm above that. I'm exempt from that entire process. And, um, you know, if he saunters in and gets his nomination, it's going to prove that his razzle dazzle strategy worked. Uh, which is a shame because I think people are going to find out once he starts hitting the campaign trail, if he does win this thing, I think he's going to take positions that I think are going to surprise a lot of people. Like he favors these sanctions against Iran. He favored a bill. This is just legalized murder, these sanctions. And then he, get this, his congressional website directs kids to the website of the CIA where they, yeah, what the fuck is that shit? Oh, it's horrible. I mean, just horrible. This is the most evil agency in U.S. history. MK Ultra hiring Nazis after World War II, state-sponsored assassinations, torture, destroying the torture tape. Wait, he he supported all of that stuff. He Did has tell me? his website directs kids. It says kids, fifth grade to tw- to eighth grade or something like that. Click here to go to the CIA's website, and you click on it, and it's here, kids. Play games here at the CIA and learn what a great institution we are. Controlled Can we, op, can we put a link to that in the show notes? No, fuck. No, I don't want to link a mash's shit in my show notes. I'm going to. If a mash is saying, hey, kids, play my <laughs> CIA mind control game. Yeah, go to amashesacuck.com. You know what his supporters were saying? I would buy that. All domain. the other Republicans do this. What's the big deal? Like, yeah, that's true, man. It, it, it is true. I mean, like, we're just uh, going to be if if a mash is or mash or any of those guys like that are the nominee, we are solidifying that the Libertarian Party is the re- Republican graveyard necromancers. That's all we are, man. Exactly. It's, we're a farm club pathetic. for the Republican movement. I mean, you even have think tanks now that are libertarian in name that are called conservative think tanks by the mainstream press. What has happened is libertarianism has become a mush. It's a it's a conservative libertarian and to a certain extent progressive mush. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's 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 like a centrist position now. Exactly. What, what what's the what's the phrase? Uh, the Gary Johnson thing. Conserv- Socially liberal, fiscally conservative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, nonsense. That's the that's the public opinion of what libertarian is. That's as far as it goes exactly. for most people. We're like a subset of the conservative philosophy. And and here's another example of how how despicable this whole thing is that George will the conservative columnist for the Washington post when Weld was being groomed to be the 2020 nominee, he writes an article saying, can this man save conservatism? (laughs) Well, yeah, we are not conservatives. He's coming into the libertarian party, which he was endorsing becoming the nominee to save conservatism. If that's not the morally bankrupt end of this, conservative libertarian hash i don't know what is if george will ever writes a column about me and says can this man save conservatism i'm suing him for libel oh hell yeah dude and now he's, <laughs> he's written a column about amash he's saying amash is a great conservative libertarian leaning conservative like well and that by becoming the nomination effectively he can also save conservatism i mean right it, like like you said the uh um uh liber- the well, i forget what you call them the uh Hybrids, right? Yeah, the hybrids. Libertarian-leaning conservatives. They're both. They're libertarian and they're conservative. They're hybrids. Right on. Nice. Dude, so I think that's about all we have for uh, the main episode. Yeah. So uh, we want to uh, tell, remind everyone that we have a Patreon. Go donate there. Follow us on Twitter. 
join our Discord because we will interact with you daily and all night too. Because we it's true. are we there need, too much. We need the Discord. The Discord is w- yeah. still one of the fun, most fun aspects of the show, right? For sure. And leave us wanna- leave us awesome voicemails, <laughs> not like uh, the drunk one that we had earlier today. Um, <laughs> rate us. <laughs> rate Don't us. call the Discord drunk. No one wants to hear that shit. <laughs> rate us uh, five stars on iTunes. We will read no matter what you write. We'll read it on air. If it's five stars, if it's not five stars, you can fuck right off. Um, we do have a lp.org link. It's lp.org slash burning boots podcast and rate us and upvote us on Liberty podcast ranker. Help us get to the number one spot again. And also, um, since I have officially qualified, you can donate to my campaign on Columbia theft collector.com. Gotta pitch the yeah, Columbia yes. theft collector. That's not right. taxes, not taxes. That's Columbia right. Theft collector. And honestly, Yeah. So, Jacob, you have any plugs? Uh, JacobforLiberty.com. People can come to our website. We could use a little financial help here in the last week of the campaign. But um, greatly appreciate what you guys did. Have me on the show. Thank you for your listeners, for the questions, and for tuning in. I'm honored and grateful, guys. Had a great time with you all. Jacob, what are you going to do with your financial uh, uh, contributions in the last week and the last push? Uh, we are putting out a, um, a major marketing campaign here, uh, reaching delegates. Uh, we've got a video campaign going on. We have uh, direct mail stuff going on. I mean, we are pushing this thing all the way to the end. We're fighting all the way to the very end. Hell yeah, dude. Nice. I love it, man. Well, I will be, I'm a delegate and I only vote for principled candidates. Yep. I'd like to multiply you, uh, clone you about a thousand times. Right. I know. I, I am not scared of the word I radical. I am a proud radical. That's awesome, man. That's music to my ears. All right. Nice, dude. Hey, Horn- Jacob, thank you. I almost called you Hornburger. Like, you're my professor <laughs> in school. I keep doing that. I have too much respect. Jacob, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank y'all. Thanks. Thank you, you so awesome. much. Appreciate it. Good night. See you later.